I mean, we always hear you only live once. So, yeah, that's true, but we also <laughs> die once too. So it's the little things that matter. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today, the Noongar Wadandimort. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Scratch the surface and everyone has a story. Welcome, Kaya, to the wisdom of women. Today's guest is Professor Samar Aoun, 2023 WA Australian of the Year. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. So good to be with you. Hailed as an international leader in changing the way we talk about death. Yes, now welcome. And you have this wonderful quote, which I'm going to read out. I just love this. We only die once, so let's make it a good one. Honestly, tell us more about your work to break the taboo of uh, talking about dying. I mean, we always hear you only live once. So, yeah, that's true. But we also die once too. (laughs) And people don't really want to talk about this. Although death is part of life. And, of course, with uh, my work as a researcher in palliative care, um, you know, even health professionals tend to not sort of talk to dying patients. Mm. It's all about hope and hope but sometimes the hope is not about surviving their terminal illness Mm. and they need to be more honest and frank with uh with the patients so it's um this is really called for the community as well as service providers Mm. um and until we have these frank discussions about Mm. death dying grief and loss in the community Mm. it's always going to be a taboo and uh, something scary or some, some of the interviews I had, it's weird. They told me, why do you get involved in this? I was, <laughs> just, I was just going to ask that question. How on earth did you get into this um, part of uh, the palliative care? Well, yeah, I'm, I wasn't a palliative care researcher till 2004 when I was asked uh, by a palliative care group to join them to do some research with them. Mm-hmm. So my background is public health. I was looking at all kind of diseases um, on a population level. Um, You know, all the chronic diseases that, um, you know, we're all suffering from now, you know, diabetes, cardiovascular Mm -hmm. disease, obesity, all that stuff. And then when I joined this palliative care team, I uh, really what grabbed me is the plight of motor neuron disease. Mm. Um, It's like a death sentence. Like they still, we still don't have a cure or a treatment for it. And uh, even palliative care is not touching them till like the last week of their life. And that really, I'm thinking, that's really rough. You know, like, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to have palliative care accessible to everyone everywhere. And um, Do you think in a way the terminology of palliative care maybe needs remarketing in the sense of we immediately think of palliative care as very much towards the end, but palliative care can exist for, for what I'm presuming years since Prior. the time of diagnosis, it needs to exist. Wow. Yeah. But okay. unfortunately, yeah. with all the funding model, we have reduced palliative care to end-of-life care. Mm. It is much longer than this, and it's about a good quality of care yeah. until die, death comes, and this is where end-of-life care kicks in. Now, palliative care people all over the world, they've done a miserable job of really letting the community know what mm. is palliative what care. Is. That's mm. why as soon as people hear palliative care, they think they're dying the following day. Yeah. It's a, it's a really very holistic way of um, 
looking after people. It does have the clinical and you know symptom management, which basically everyone seems to be focusing on. Mm. But they're really ad hoc in terms of psychosocial support, spiritual, existential, bereavement support, family care support. It's all part of the equation of delivering yes. good palliative care. So you talk about how clinical support, in fact, probably only plays a very small percentage in that. I mean, you look at you're saying about 5%, yes, really, the rest of it becomes it. community and holistic yes, approach. Exactly. Anybody who's got a life-limiting illness and dying is only in contact with a health professional 5% of their time. Mm. Absolutely. So what do they do with the 95%? There's yeah. so much the community can do because they are with their family, friends, uh, school friends, mm. um, you know, the uh, um, or faith organisations, their pets, their internet... And sadly, a lot are alone, which we found from the trial we did in the southwest. So yeah, yeah. okay, and and probably as well, someone taking back control of how they spend their final years, or you know, taking control of that. And exactly, this is why we have advanced care planning. You know, I mean, start planning how you want to live. Too many Australians in the thousands are not dying in a way and in a place that is really reflective of their choices. Mm -hmm. And, and their values because they've never really discussed their choices and their values or they didn't know what their choices were. So so this is why it, it happens when you're not talking about it whatsoever. Mm. They die and then the family starts squabbling over, oh, do they need a funeral? What kind of funeral? Uh, you know, all these things that they need to be prepared beforehand. What legacy, you know, you want to leave behind? I mean, mm. this really precious time to, you know, keep talk, talk about this, have the conversation opened about that. Um, and uh, so when we found that need in the community that it's leaving people going into hospital in, in the last few days of their life, which is robbing them from dignity, from control over their life, you don't need to be in a hospital. You know, after somebody heard me talk, they, they contacted me and they said their young sister uh, was never told that, you know, um, she's really, really terminal. So they kept... Uh, giving her more chemo and more chemo and more chemo and of course nothing worked and she died and this sister is reflecting that her sister could have really spent the last few months of her life with her kids more mm. rather than being totally knocked out by chemo not with it you know and trying okay. to you know probably extend another month of her life when she could have had much better quality of life with her kids that she's left behind so it's uh, it's we are we are living in a death denying society. We think you know by keep curing and curing, but I mean it, it, the science is there that we still have you know conditions where there's no cure for it. Mm. You know, and this is why motor neurons is I'll put it at the top of the list, because while with cancer um, there is some hope, people still think oh you know there is, and there are you know a lot of clinical trials happening in all kinds of diseases. Um, but, you know, so many of the motor neurons, these people tell me when I interview them, we wish we have cancer, we'd have more hope because there's something happening every, you know, every now and then we hear oh, there's something happening in the so field. That's so true. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Yeah, but in, in motor, there's nothing happening nothing. in the it's field. It's a no. death sentence yes. and yes. we'll just leave you. And it's a slow death, death sentence. No, really. really the no average uh, time would be two and a half years to three years. It's a very... Wow. Uh, um, progressive disease and yeah. quick. That's why the family carers gets really depressed and their bereavement experience is so hard because they just 
don't have the time to comprehend all that quickness, you know. Mm. And our support services in general, like the NDIS or if they have an HK package, are not quick enough to service the, the support needs of these people. So mm. say NDIS, by the time, you know, they fill the uh, information, they want a, a normal um, um, wheelchair. Yes. Um, by the time they get it, they're already bed, bed ridden, you know, bed yes. ridden. They, like they, they can't yeah. even move okay. to use to use that. that. They mm. need something. It, yes. They need something, different. and hence why the Motor Neuron Disease Association is filling that gap. We have like an enormous warehouse of so many donated equipment that we just, you know, give those families to make them have some quality of life. So when they need it, yes, they've yeah, got exactly. it. So That's how right. responsive, say, are government policies um, and people maybe reflecting? on what you're saying for the motor neuron disease. Yeah, we are making a lot of noises at the federal level in terms of the NDIS is not really servicing, you know, Mm. the needs of motor neuron disease and again, HK packages. So at the... At the, at the federal level, we have the MND Association, our peak body. So they're very close to people in Canberra. and they, um, But, you know, we, we're going to try and do, you know, have more noises. Supposedly this year I've got this platform, mm, so I'll yes, make more right. noises myself as well. And, yeah. and our state association here. So yeah. how do we change the conversation in the community with us all about death? What, what's the process? What's the process is... Um, Getting the, getting the community um, their hands into how do you support someone mm-hmm. who's caring, dying, or grieving. Yeah. At the moment, we, we watch things happen because we think the professional services do it better. And certainly, this is the impression in rich countries and developed countries because we, we, have, we do have really good health services. So that de-skilled the community, even discouraged them from being courageous enough to say, well, I want to be part of caring after my loved ones. Um, and you'll find in places like India you know, and other developing countries, the community networks are really strong because mm. they can't rely on the government giving them anything oh, in terms how, of, you know. How interesting yeah, is so, that? So one that, once yeah, goes yeah. up, the other one comes mm. down and vice versa. Mm, yeah. Now, we really value what we have here, but let's bring the community at equal Absolutely. partners with health services. This is what we're trying to do. Mm. And then we have a really, really good system. And then we can have palliative care available to everyone and everywhere. So we're not relying on health mm. professionals to do it, particularly that 95% of the time people are with us. They're not yeah. with a health yeah. professional people. So do you, th- do you think it's a symptom of modern society where, where our communities aren't as connected as what no. they used to be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. of course, you've got also in the Western culture the privacy, the confidentiality, mm. all that stuff that people really you know, hold on to. But it's a detriment. It is at the detriment of really building their social networks mm. around them when they need them and even before you can't build it you know in the last week you're dying it's a long life journey whereby you know you you need them throughout all your uh you know um Mm. crisis that you have everybody has got problems all that you know as you go every kind of uh, step of your journey but we're not reaching out we've lost the skill of asking for help because again in the western culture we feel if we ask for help people are going to look at us as if we are really weak yes. yep. uh, we're not judged. really helping yeah. well yeah goodness me yeah um, it, you are very judged exactly mm. and again during bereavement people judge you how much you've showed you know emotion how much you haven't you know uh-huh. um, yeah. so because uh, they haven't been used to it for a long time we've lost mm. that we've become a really disconnected society I mean with half of the cohort of those families who were uh, come uh, to the connector program they were living alone 
Wow. Not not because they have no families, they're disconnected from them. That's and uh, and they don't feel they can ask, a mother can't feel asked to ask her daughter to come and give her a shower, you know. Sad, or uh, this is this is how, you know, we've, we've become. So we really need to encourage each other and to stand up and have the confidence to be involved, even if they are in hospital, to be involved there and to, to get mm. involved and help. Yeah, and yeah definitely. Yeah, we, we got to have those two yeah. meetings. Those people who need help need to ask for help yeah. because they also have to remember they're not only helping themselves, they're helping their community to get the skills to help each yes. other. Because if they don't have anyone to practice on, oh, yeah. so it's like we are still de-skilled, you yeah. know? We've got yeah. a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say yeah. that in our street here that we live in, oh, yes. we have a wonderful community. I'm just reflecting on that yes. because haven't we? We've got people well, yes, with, with, yeah. everywhere we mm. go when we've had people that have, you know, suffered a loss or, or mm. along the way. So I think we're, we're very lucky. We, we, our group I'm sure like that, but I'm sure. it's just yeah. every, everyone we, needs to just we need to bring it back that little bit more. Yeah. yeah, we need to bring it back at a much wider level. Yeah. Say mm. we're here, at Bunbury Southwest, where where we are operating now, and certainly you know the ethos is um, everyone is interested in it. I mean, compassion communities is an international movement, you know. Mm. So, but it's just how do you operationalize it? That yeah. was the the actual yeah. hard thing about it. So difficult. And how mm. do you evaluate it to actually? Um, give the hardcore data to uh, decision makers and you know mm. fund holders that it is a model of care yeah. that works and is efficient. Mm. So these were the two basically problems of really letting everyone know about compassionate communities. Mm. And what we've done here in the Southwest, we've done both. We were able to, as we call, put it into operation by having a volunteer group called the Compassionate Connectors who were trained uh, to go and deliver the practical and social support for families who need that, whether they have care, family carers or they're by themselves, they were able to do this. Now, the interesting thing about this model is that the connectors are not the one who do everything for the family. They open up their social networks. They will ask them, okay, so who do you have in your social networks? Right. They might say, we have the neighbor. Okay, do you think your neighbor will be able to mow the lawn, you know, because the garden is so important to them? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so, but I can't ask him. So the yes. connector does the asking for him. Yeah. So the neighbor becomes a caring helper. Uh, she needs, you know, ironing. Uh, do you think you've got, um, you know, um, I don't know, a cousin or um, mm. somebody, you know, who would be able... Sometimes they'll tell you, yes, we do, but we don't feel we can ask them. But So the connectors go and do the asking Again, on their behalf. They step on. Yeah. yeah. And um, um, so, so they're really connecting those who want to give help and those who ask for help. And they've never really connected before, mm. you know, because we have a lot of people in the community who say, we want to ask for help, but we're too scared to do the wrong thing. Or we don't know if people want us, you know. So, you know, so that we, we're doing that now. Um, and the other amazing group are the caring helpers. Now, those are the ones who are the community now of those people, mm -hmm. um, which is very sustainable. They're with them throughout the whole journey. So they become yeah. friends, but they don't have to become friends. And we found out from the trial that with 50% of um, um, our families home alone, so you can't, they don't have like a, um, a, a relative available person. Could, no. Mm. So what they've done, they looked out, you know, way beyond, beyond you know, the this and what we call them, they facilitated external networks for them. So for instance, there is a mother who 
have cancer but she's got young kids so this lady in the community got a, a community group to actually do a meal train you know yes. for this lady Wonderful. and provide surrogate grannies to come and play oh, with her because I mean she can't send her kids to daycare because they bring all sorts of viruses yes. you know and germs from daycare yeah. so yeah. It, it's wonderful so she's got you know these people around her now she can ask them straight now because they're part of her network of supporting her oh, and so wonderful. on and so on we have a church group who actually helped again an elderly man who his garden was his love and it went really pear-shaped obviously he couldn't really look after it because he had so many comorbidities so this church group you know came to us and said we could do something on a sunday i said right that, we've got this guy here it is so they all went like all different generations five six of them you know they just turned the whole garden oh, you know wonderful and and yeah. the guy yeah. said it's like a, a black cloud oh. had lifted from him you know oh. to see such a beautiful garden so it's sweet. the little things yeah. that matter yeah. I, this is the thing we have really learned from this program yeah. i always feel like yeah. we need to ask everyone to just go and make one connection, yeah. maybe even if it is in your street mm. Mm. or in a wider social network, just even if tomorrow you could just make one connection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, th this is it. I mean, even the even the international literature writes about this kind of work because you know they're called navigators in other parts of the world. Um, these little things is what make people feel loved mm. and return their dignity. You know, take them to, to get their prescription, you know, just, you know, mm. drive them in your, in your car mm. to, to, to get their prescription. So, so this is where we have uh, improved the social connectedness of this cohort of 43 families who were part of this trial. And uh, at the moment, we're finishing what we call the effectiveness study whereby, well, let me go back to the social connectedness. How did it happen? Mm. Is yes. that they felt yeah. less socially isolated they were able to cope better with their daily activities mm -hmm. because people were helping them. Um, they, um, we've doubled their social networks who were able to help them, basically. So that's fantastic by itself yeah. because once you improve social connectedness in a community, there's a lot of research that showed uh, you live better, you mm. live happier, you live longer than those who don't have good social relationships. Yeah. In fact, one big trial had showed that if you have strong social relationships, um, it reduces your risk of mortality far more than if you stopped smoking or you lost weight or you decrease your really? blood pressure. It is mind-blowing research, is, honestly. Wow. I know. <laughs> this is how much. Because apparently yeah. there are biological phenomena that happens within you yeah. when you interact with people. Oh, we've got all these that chemicals makes, releasing. Yes, do, you yes, know, do you know what, as yes. a mum, I've always had my 20-second cuddle rule. I never thought I'd have to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. I remember researching it years and years ago about how the bodies give off chemicals. So I always used to make my kids hug me for 20 seconds. Yeah. Exactly. It, That's it's so amazing correct. that potential of the body in the yes. exchange. Yes, it's, all that. I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So, so well, so we don't need to move any further with this research because the research about the uh, importance of social connectedness is always is there anyway. With mm. you know all these sort of uh, reducing the risk of mortality. Uh, but then the the really nice thing now that we found as well is that uh, when we followed this group, what we call the connector group, you know, the intervention, and we compared them to a similar control group, you know, mm -hmm. similar in terms of age, gender, diseases, and the home alone status, the intervention group had less hospital admissions mm. in that period. I'll tell okay. you why in a little while. And then the other thing, they, if they did go in, they had a shorter length of stay, mm. and they had more in contact with community-based services, which are much cheaper than hospital-based services. The reason why, 
and from we know what's happened in the project, is that um, people freak out when they're by themselves, particularly on the weekend, because there's no services, no formal services who could visit them or they could ring to feel better. Mm -hmm. But our connectors are there for them on the weekend. They can ring them, talk to them, yeah. feel at peace, you know, you know you, it's okay, you know, you can wait till Monday or something. So apparently there were a lot of hospital admissions that used to happen on the weekend because of these home alone people, you know, with comorbidities freaking out and admitting right. themselves to hospital because they didn't have anybody to talk to. I mean, the reason they went in wasn't really medical, it's social, I'm but because of this. about how connection can just be such a powerful tool. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's so like so understated, but I'm so glad we did this research. The other thing, if they did go to hospital, they, they don't really drag their feet from leaving because now they have someone, they love them in the community yes, so they can yes. go out Something and... To, to go home, someone exact, to go home that's to. That's it. Well, yes. before, you know, they'd rather stay as long as they could because they're having the social interaction at the hospital. And then why they use more um, uh, community-based services is because the connectors were making the appointments for them. Yeah, okay. Because of their disability and tiredness, they couldn't be bothered to wait on the phone, you know. And even some of them with the caring helpers, they transported them to those appointments. So, of course, they went. And it's so much better for them to be in touch with community-based services. Yeah. So it's a winner, whichever you yeah. look at it. I am just so excited how about starting telling everyone about how, this. So how long has this been in place for? Well, we started the trial um, 2020. That's it, really. Yeah, it's, we finished at the end of last year, so it took yeah. like 20, 21, 22, three years. Yep. And uh, we've, um, we're now going to have a launch of those results. Very exciting. So you're the and first ones to know about them. That's there you very go. exciting. <laughs> and I presume you have something that clearly is so successful, you, you would love to see this ro rolled oh. out mm. everywhere. Absolutely, yeah. So basically, I think the first step of the rolling out would be in the regional areas, you know, all the WA country health services um, uh, country areas. Now, I must say that we did this in the partnership with palliative care services mm -hmm. and chronic disease services because they were referring those patients to the program right. when, you know, they felt that they need that extra help and support that they couldn't do under that funding model that we're under, you know. Mm. Um, so, so it was a really good partnership. And um, the exciting thing about it as well is that it got translated into practice straight away, which means the health service had taken it as a model of care that will they will look after now yep, okay. on the long run. So I it's not brilliant. something that just belongs to the community like we've started. Yep, yeah. It's something that's now at the heart of how they're going to practice person-centered care with their patients. Mm. Um, so, so that's really exciting. It doesn't happen very often when, you know, a researcher produces an evidence yeah. and it gets taken up by a health service straight away. It's usually years and years and years oh, until something that's happens. Incredible. So it that's, is outstanding. again, a big win. Mm. Um, and I must say it's a big win for the health service. That's great that they really understood what we're on mm. about, worked with us, were happy to take the risk because, again, you mm. know, to have volunteers go into people's home of their patients. Yeah. And you know, the health service is very risk averse, you know. I was going to say, in this uh, yeah. day and age as well, no. all that scenario just makes people cringe, really, yes. doesn't it? Yes, exactly. Especially a health service and, you know, yeah. what could come into all this litigation. Yeah. What could possibly era, could, happen. Yeah. But we had such fantastic connectors. I mean, like, they're really 
had lived experience, mature, wise. I mean, when we say we had a day of, of training for them, um, more of the essentials of what the program is about, how we work with the health service, what are the code of conduct of, you know, WACs, what's advanced care planning, all that stuff. But mm. the attributes, they had them themselves. Mm. That's not something yeah, you can okay. give them. And this, mm. they were amazing. So that's why on the 27th of March, we're training another lot yeah. because people come come and go from the program according to their personal circumstances. You know, they, they can give as much as they can mm. for how long as they can, but it doesn't mean they, they can be with us on the long term, but we need to keep training people in the community. And every little bit helps. Oh, absolutely. That one singular connection. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe some people will come and attend the program, but then say things have changed in their life and they can't commit to being part of it. But at least they've got the skills they can just mm. do it anywhere they want, you know, in, yeah. in their own communities. So what we're hoping to do now is roll it out into all the uh, country, WA, to start off with. Um, there is a lot of interest, again, because of the exciting results that's, yeah. that's come out. Um, the next step would be throughout metro area. Again, the health department there are very interested. And, you know, I'm speaking to local government about this. You know, I'll come again and tell you about the um, mm. uh, our work with local government here. Um, and um, Is there more a demand in regional areas? Do they tend to have that lack of connection? It's not the demand as such. Best? We've got communities more connected than metro area, maybe. That's really you know, interesting. Even though, it? yeah, because they're smaller yeah. ones, everybody knows Each one other. another. Yeah, so... And more inclined to be um, helpful. Yeah, mm. more inclined to be helpful. I mean, again, another uh, nice example of helpfulness. Um, we had a lady who moved from a smaller country town to here, and she had a lot of, you know, anxiety issues and other comorbidities. So she couldn't bring herself to drive her car and find out where supermarket is, where the library is. Where the... So so I, I did a call to a Rotary Club and I said, have you got somebody who could sit with this woman? And she, I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't want to be, to be driven. She wants to drive, but somebody with her, just make sure they tell her where the important things for her in Bunbury. And then one of the ladies, yes, yeah, she said, I can do that. So she went with her like on a couple mm -hmm. of occasions, showed her that that's all is needed, you yeah. know. It's just somebody giving the time. Yeah. Uh, it's, again, the little things. It, it, it sort of made this, and, and this lady said her life grew from a golf-sized ball to a basketball oh, now, you know. Beautiful. Like, it's interesting how they just... <laughs> yeah, the explanation <laughs> yeah, for it. Yeah, it's lovely. I all these things stick in my oh. mind all the time. Um, yeah, yeah, so so hopefully, you know, and again, Palliative Care Australia are going to work with us to... Uh, again, adapted to the eastern states because I mean there are a lot of people who are you know interested and involved in the compassionate communities research kind of thing. It's just how do you actually get the services to work with the community? So we mm. have a nice model here. That's yeah. how will it work in other communities? It's up to the communities to adapt yeah. it the way. Yeah. yeah, to suit there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, mm. that is brilliant. Mm. It's so good to hear how successful it's been. I yeah, love it. so interesting to listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Simple, it's common sense. Yes, <laughs> that we've forgotten That's about it. and compassion that we've seemed to have forgotten. Yes, I mean, once upon years. a time we were born at home and we died at home yeah. and we had the whole neighbourhood around us. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But this is the thing do dying people need to be in hospital? No, no, mm. exactly. This is what I mean. We, death has become too professionalized and too um, um, medicalized, and it doesn't need to be like this mm. because you know um, it's it's the community that does it well, and they've done it for a long yeah. time. And of course, I talk about my dad's experience um, into how it gelled in my head. 
um, when he died, they rang me from Lebanon. And they said, you must come straight away. We don't take time to bury our dead. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's going to take me 24 hours to get there mm. anyway. I mean, like, uh, I said, please hold on. You know, I'm coming. Anyway, I rang the office to say I'm going to be late uh, from chairing a research meeting. But let them start. Um, my dad died. I just want to book my ticket first, make sure I can get there. Anyway, I've done all that, went back to the uh, meeting and, you know, walked in. And everybody carried on with the meeting as if... Oh, as if I'm, I'm okay, like, you know, like no nobody asked me. No. Oh, wow. No. We are so sorry. And they yeah. would all have professionals. Yeah, wow. Like I'm thinking, I'm sure they care, but they just feel they don't know what to say. I mean, mm. is it to that extent? Like, yeah. yeah. So it just kept in mind. Anyway, I didn't have time to really um, ponder on it a lot. Of course, the following day I was, it was Australia Day and I went straight to Lebanon. And then oh, but the experience there was just amazing. I, I don't know why I don't recall this or... Mm. But I never had somebody as close to me die like before, thank goodness, you know, that's my dad. And just the church community just did everything, like from emotional support to mm -hmm. food support to... And those three days of mourning where, you know, from morning till evening, you know, everybody who knows you in Lebanon comes mm. to pay their respects. Beautiful. And it, I caught wow. up with so many people mm. I haven't seen since I was a kid. And, of course, they all knew about my granddad, my, you know, my dad, my family... And we cried, we laughed, we ate together, we reminiscent, you know. And then by the end of three days, I was ready to come back and I was fine. And, you know, my family here were like thinking, oh, I'm going to need a lot of support when yeah. I come back. I said, I just felt my acute grief just resolved because mm. of all that love and dignity and respect mm. and that I had in, in that community in Lebanon. And then on the way back on the plane, which is, again, a very long flight, so I, had, I could really think, well, okay, that's exactly what I think, you know. It's it's death, dying, grief and loss is better done by the community. Mm. Because really death is is a social event with a medical component. Mm. It's not how now it's become a medical mm. event with a social component. So we need to go back to making of it course. a social yeah. event. Yeah. I know. Of course. I know. And that's my, you know, esteemed colleague Alan Callagher, when I when I when he said that, I'm thinking exactly what you said. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> this is how it yeah. always was. It's like an epiphany moment yes. to suddenly realise yes. because everything has been just so pushed the other yeah. way. Yes, yes, yeah. So we just kind of, you know, everybody's going to help in getting the balance back again into these things. Yeah, mm. the core issues of yeah. living and dying. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, you mentioned yeah. heading back home to, to family. Um, it's interesting what what you had to do with your husband leaving a, a, a war-torn country, oh, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Do you mind? Yeah, no, Just that's reflecting fine. on that. Yeah, so, you know, the, the Lebanese war broke up when we were, like, adolescents. And this is the time when you are really feeling, you know, your word is crushed around you. Like, what is happening? The whole country is, is in at war with Lebanese against each other. It's not mm. like, you know, we have an invasion, like, now Russia to Ukraine, mm. like... It was like um, you become very disillusioned, you know, what's happening around you. And the, the politics is very, very complicated. I won't go near there. Mm. But I think, you know, for me, I'm thinking, right, we don't have a choice how we die. It's now, it's put on us, you know. And, you know, it's either sniper fire or a car bomb or an indiscriminate shelling that I, you don't know how it was, you know. Cannot imagine um, existing in that environment. I know. I mean, so many nights we just slept in the shelter, you know, like we just, uh, and, you know, even our building, we were on the fifth floor. We had our, our um, 
uh, walls just had holes in them because of this, you know, the the bombs uh, going through. Um, and um, or or if you were from not the correct religion of the area and you stepped into it, you're killed automatically. Like it was thinking. Madness, oh. absolute madness for no real reason or a good yeah. cause that was happening. Um, and that really left a lot of, um, you know, um, I guess, distress in my in my in my heart. Um, um, lucky I was, you know, lucky, luckier than most that um, I was able to go to the UK and finish my my studies because, again, schools were not working anymore. Um, so how did that work? Did you just decide one day that's it? We've got to get out of here. The, the grief of having to well know, I went move. when I left 16 I was 16 so by myself to start off with really? so I went and yeah I went to a boarding school in the UK I, I I spoke Arabic and French at the time I didn't speak English so I had a three months of crash course in English mm -hmm. so that I'm able to then go to a proper school and do my TE or whatever it's called, it's called A levels mm -hmm. yeah um, and then I went to university there did my first degree um, then came back to Lebanon and uh, did my master's in public health and it's during that time when we had the Israeli invasion you know like things went on for a long time mm. um, and I you know recall I was standing outside the perimeter of the university and then all these tanks of a foreign country just coming down I think, wow. I can't believe it, we are still facing this. But now, of course, it's gone to another extreme where we have a, another mm. country invading us at that stage. Um, uh, like, it's just the, the um, disappointments, you know, of, of just what the Lebanese people were going through for so, so long. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, again, back into being, you know, in shelters. And um, But it's during that time when I came back and I was doing my master's, I, you know, and, and we were doing a research project, which was very, very important uh, because we never knew what is the health of the Lebanese population, what services we need to have, uh, because we don't have a, a census like you do here. In fact, nobody wants a census okay. because, again, <laughs> um, it's, it's about uh, people don't want to know how many Christians and how many Muslims we have because that tips the balance of power. Because if, if yeah, because if one group uh, uh, knew that they were the dominant one, they start calling for more, um, you know, mm. seats in the parliament and want more influence. And so we've never had a census, so we don't know what are the needs of our population. So we had this fantastic, you know, um, project uh, funded by an American Rockefeller Foundation, and I was so like thinking, my God, this is really it's great to have something happening in in Beirut. It was just the city of Beirut at the time. But again, it was just how do you go and knock at people's door and ask them those survey questions when you've got shelling all over the place happening? It was just amazing how resilient those group of researchers. So I had like um, 10 uh, interviewers uh, and they were grouped into a team of two. So I had like five groups and every morning I'll dispatch them to one area of Beirut where I think it's safe for the day or for the hour that they're there because things change. It was like... Just doing research under duress is just, uh, this is why I'm thinking doing it here is a dream. Like this you is, don't have this yeah, pro these this problems. This is dedicated research <laughs> yeah. that you're doing there, isn't it? Not letting a wall get in your way. I know, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, those uh, interviewers, young, you know, young university students, they still come back at the end of the day mm. with those um, surveys completed 
in the shelter. So they go down with the family, mm. you know, and they say, what are we going to do? We're just stuck there. We might as well complete this, you know. That's it was just a way of life. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. It mm. just you became so yeah. resilient. And then the, the few times when they didn't turn up, well, then I had to, you know, as I said <laughs> yeah. when you heard me, I had to go and look for them, you know. And then I'm like walking into those devastated because areas. Anything could have happened. Oh, no, I know. And, I, you know, talk about risk management. We had nothing of that. I don't think even my oh. line manager knew I did that because I didn't even think about it. I just mm. made sure I want these young kids back, you know, from yeah. wherever they are being held. Um, because, you know, they may think, oh, they are spying on them for the other militia group and okay. vice versa and things yeah. like this. Although they had a card from the Ministry for Health, they, they're doing research and this is what's it about. And they need to have, you know, permit to, you know, to, to permission to enter, but mm. didn't make any effect really on, on the militia. I mean, in general, they were really illiterate and um, mm -hmm. couldn't care less about anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm just like walking into this devastated areas of Beirut, tanks everywhere, smoke mm -hmm. everywhere, and I'm thinking, where have you seen two young, you know, young adults here who are doing surveys, you know? Yes, no, yes, no. Anyway, till they f told me where they had been locked up, you know, and then I'll just walk in, I'll say, right, these are university students, they're not here to spy on you, could you let them out? Well, lucky that was during beginning of like those uh, another s cycle of war. They used to respect women, I suppose, you know, a bit more at mm -hmm. the time. So they were, yeah, let me in and I'll take those so, two back. So you became me. a hostage nego negotiator. Hostage negotiator. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> I know, just from doing research, this is why I'm thinking it's simple here the way we do things. Yeah. There's no one to <laughs> negotiate with. It's absurd. just, yeah. It is absurd. And when I see that book, oh. we actually wrote the whole results. We managed to do it in some record time. Um, and it's all now published. And it's been like the Bible for like, you know, how do you provide services for the Lebanese community? I know, we did it. Wow. Kudos to you. Yeah, it's amazing. Under well, incredible circumstances. I mean, yeah, I mean, You're I You're very I determined, aren't you? I am. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a good description. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I find it interesting as well. Do you think women also just have that natural capacity as well sometimes to, um, you know, particularly in, in the field that you're in? You know, I did notice that, to be honest, because, I mean, like when um, we, 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 we stick our neck out more mm. and um, and and... One good thing is that, which, as I said, I, I'm just trying to learn to be more thick-skinned because I'm not, but it seems it's a really good attribute to have. Mm. Um, I, I don't, I stop taking offenses personally. Yeah. Um, while men in general can't do that, you know, so we were like, say, in one committee when we had a lot of difficulties that we needed to sort out. And... Uh, the men just resigned and left because they said, oh, it's too difficult. I don't want, you know, my reputation to be, you know, um, impacted, impacted by that. Yeah. And I'm thinking, but if we all left, uh, who do we leave this mm. charitable mm. organization to? Like, what happens? So I stuck there <laughs> <laughs> and I made the changes that needed to happen. I, I, I went into the fight that needed to be happen. Mm. And then three days later, those men, I met them, they said, hat off to you. You <laughs> really did it. Well done. Yeah. Sorry we were not able to support you then. Mm. And I'm saying, well, what can okay. I say? I know, you left me by myself yeah. to actually 
do everything. Well, really, an apology doesn't cut it, but no, that's okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. If it made them feel better. Okay. <laughs> oh, 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 I love it. So, yes, yeah. we, are, we are determined and we, uh, we kind of, um, like, if you, if you are really focused and you know that the, the aim at the end is noble and you're going to achieve something good for the community mm. from it, you carry on because mm. the, the personal thing doesn't come in anymore. Well, that's how, anyway how I think. Um, that's why I don't get shy from, you know, doing the hard fights because, um, because if, if the destination is the good one where we need to go for the community, mm. um, it's fine. I'm, you do I'm, what you I'm, need I'm, to do to get there, yes, don't you? Yes, yes. I, I, don't, I don't shy away from it and I say, no, I need to save myself and my reputation and all that stuff and, you know, mm. or roll in a corner and mm. hoping, you know, that yeah. <laughs> the yeah. storm would, would go. Yeah. No, I stand in the storm. Yeah. Terrible. So I know I've been always told, you know, oh. I'm, I'm a bit crazy, but never mind. No, you're no. impressive. That's <laughs> yeah. what you are. Depending how people see Wonderful it. listening and to you. And making, making the right changes and... Standing yeah. up. Yes, mm. exactly. It's, it's, it, it, that's what it's making a difference yes. in people's lives and death. And you know, if I know this is where we are getting there, I will just mm. keep going. And you know, as, as I said, the train is is going, and mm. people will jump on and off as they wish, depending mm. on their agendas, what suits them, what doesn't yeah. suit them. They come back again when they've you know seen the light a bit more. But, you know, that's how you're life the, it is. You're the train driver. I am the train driver. You can't driver. get off. No, that's right. <laughs> that's ju- it's just so inspirational because it makes me want to get out, do stuff yeah. and stand behind you in that storm and, <laughs> yeah, let's go. And that is what we love about yeah. this collective experience yes. and knowledge of mm. wisdom. I, I love women coming together and mm. having these conversations. Mm. It can be so empowering. It is. It is, you know. And uh, I always read again, you know, the... Um, um, I, I like reading people's life and, you mm. know, what brought them to what they are. And I- invariably, uh, there are challenges. Nobody got no. to where they went if they had no. an easy life. No, exactly right. It's not a character building. Yeah. No, that's exactly so, it. Yeah. yeah. So if we choose the easy path all the time, we stay where we are, you know, like uh, mm. we won't make a difference. That's making so a difference and making a change, this is what people don't like and mm. this is the problem mm. in every way of life. But we have to move on and make changes so that we can get better and better in everything mm. we do and aspire for. Yeah. Yeah. Here, um, here. I yeah. totally agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Mm. Um, so thank you for talking to us about how you're changing the way we see deal with grief and death and mm. well life to the end I guess mm. and and mm. living as a community it's been really inspiring to me I'm just <laughs> I've just yeah. been like silence into awe <laughs> you know wow yeah, yeah I was just listening I was oh my god this is what we want they want we want the younger ones coming mm. through yes. to mm. inspired and have role models yeah yeah and to and like to, to do what you've said to do like jump on and help in the community and you know that's it that's what we're going to do yeah 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 i mean my my role as a as a researcher is to show the evidence that it works Mm. and of course once we've got that evidence there's nothing stopping me you know i mean i want to make sure it's based on something solid Mm. that is going to work and that's why for the last three years head down i was just evaluating that program Mm. um so that i so that we can get to where we are now so if anybody would like to join the connector program, this is part of building the assets of our community. Mm. So, yeah. it's it's not it's not um, 
um, uh, a tiring thing. It's just about mm. being part of the community and making the people think about building their networks around them. Yeah. Even health professionals said to us, we used to jump and say, okay, what paid health service do we have to give those people? Now we are asking them, who do you have around you that can help you with mm -hmm. that to start off with? Yep. So we've changed the way the health service you know, providers right. are thinking yeah. now, which is great because yeah. that is the sustainable way of doing it. Because if you keep bringing it health services, first of all, they're not available to you anytime you want them. No. You, know, you need like two, three weeks or a month to see anyone you yeah. know, from uh, whether yeah, it's a GP sure. or specialist or a psychologist mm. or, you know. Yeah, so, um, and again, so it's about how do you also support people during their bereavement phase as well. Mm. Uh, it's a continuation from diagnosis to bereavement yeah. that mm. we need to work at. Yeah. Wonderful. What a great conversation. Thank you, Samar. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> so much to think about. Mm. I mean, yeah. I always say, like, you know, with people, say, how are we going to talk about death? Oh, my goodness. I said, look, talking about death is not going to kill you. Yes. Like, it's not yeah. a disease you're yes. going to catch. This is another great, <laughs> oh yes, great so quote true. from you, isn't it? <laughs> you're just full of them. <laughs> yes. Oh, good. I love that. <laughs> Um, and look, if you've been affected by any of the topics discussed, please visit the support links. And if you want more information, then we will have links provided as well. Yeah, fantastic. Um, Samar, you've yeah. said a lot of quotes. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what is a quote today, like a favourite quote today? That a little bit of an extra one. I know that you said through us. some that you particularly liked. Um, well... You know, this thing about West Australian of the Year, that certainly wasn't on my bucket list. I mean, it took me, like, by surprise. And I'm thinking, this is what I mean. You know, you still have time to create a new chapter yeah. in your life. You know, when people say, I'm too old or, you know, yeah. I, you know I can't do this. And, oh, you can create it at any time. And, you know, the, the New South Wales Senior of the Year, Teresa Plain, who is a palliative care nurse, of course, I met her in Canberra. She's 95. Oh, oh for goodness. goodness She sake. still does radio <laughs> broadcast on palliative care. Oh, she sent me a beautiful email only yesterday. Oh, you know yes. how much she is so impressed with the Connector program and how she wants to now work on it, you know, rolling it out in New South Wales where she is because she's so sick about <laughs> of talking about <laughs> what she used to talk for the last 40 years. This is innovative. Mm -hmm. This is where we need to go. Oh. The community... But when I looked at her, like in Canberra, I had so many good conversations. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it's amazing. Yeah, she's oh, uh, she's wonderful. Yeah, is, yeah. yeah. Oh. And then believe, believe yes. in yourself. Yeah. Oh, that is so important. That is, that and is not so enough important. women realise that. That's that it. They do need yes. to have confidence in themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. We always question. Yes, I know. I don't know why, as they say, you have the imposter syndrome. Mm. And, you know, in Canberra, they were telling us, because, you know, we're all like all these people, recipients of all these awards from all the states. And one of the talk we had, you must have the imposter syndrome. Uh, you know, it happens to all the recipients that come. And I'm saying, I don't have it. Why are you telling that? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, Glad to hear that It's one. interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Why do we feel that oh, way? That's true. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. We can do it. There you go. Yeah, and, and you, you see like... The men are so full of themselves, although sometimes they don't know as much as we do. Yes. We really need to change that. Yeah. Uh, you know, put your, you know, point of view forward. 
and uh, without feeling, you know, intimidated or, I don't know, it's just a social conditioning of girls and women that they feel. I think it might be right because I've read some really interesting statistics where they talk about how men, maybe when going for a job, only probably have 10% of the skills required, but their confidence is 90%. Whereas women turn around and feel they need to have 90% of the skills and their confidence is about 10%. That's crazy. So this is where... It is so true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So we need to turn this around. Turn I mean, around. we learn from men, I suppose. It's one good thing to learn from men. There you go, men, <laughs> you know, we can learn yeah, something yeah, from Yeah, just, you know, <laughs> go in whatever you do with full of confidence. Yeah, Even yeah. if you didn't know everything, yeah. it comes, you know, mm. with a job. Mm. Whatever you, they you, do, we can do it better. Yeah. 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 And, and we have like that, that compassion yeah. again and yeah. leadership. We need that as well. Mm. So that brings mm. me to the uh, compassionate Bunbury Charter, which, which is, I didn't have time to talk about it a lot at the breakfast, but... Um, all over the world now, there are um, cities or towns called compassionate cities or town, which means that communities have pledged to make where they live a more compassionate community, a more compassionate city. So that gives really the bigger picture, a higher vision mm-hmm. for everyone in the community to support each other, whether they've got disability, mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not just talking about end-of-life care, but it's really driven from that movement, mm-hmm. basically. And uh, um, in Mel- in Melbourne and other places, uh, local governments were really involved. So we approached the Bunbury City Council here and we said, look, let's start working on something, have community consultations of what mm-hmm. people think a compassionate Bunbury needs to be like. So we've done all these consultations. We've had a few um, uh, conversations, interviews with um, sort of key leaders here so they can pledge how they're going to make Bunbury a better community. And uh, the follow-up of all that is that um, for instance, schools, um, how they can be better equipped to support each other if they have a, a child who died or a teacher who died or a mm. parent who died. Do they know exactly how to support each other? Mm. Yes. I don't think so. You know, no, it's so that, so that wouldn't be a plan that you'd have no. in the filing cabinet. No, or, exactly. It, it's, exactly. It's not really, yeah. really important. Yeah, even yeah. workplaces. Mm. So if you have somebody, again, you know, your, your, uh, mm. your um, colleague, you know, is, is struggling through whatever, you know, their child or their wife died. Do you know how to support them when they mm. come back to work? I mean, two days of bereavement is nothing. Like, mm. you know, they just have time to go to the funeral. That's yeah. it. But that yeah. grief is so, um, you know, prolonged, Present. you know. Mm. And, and one of the ladies who lost her child, she said to me when she went back to work, they, it was an open space, open plan, you know, f- kind of format. They put her in a room by herself where she can close the door so they th- they thought, thought that she needed time by herself. What she really needed is to be in the middle of them and talk yeah. about it. So yeah. they were protecting themselves from her pain because okay. they couldn't deal yeah. with it. So if yeah. they locked her up in an office by herself, she's not in their face all the yeah. time and they don't feel, you know, they don't know I what don't to feel say. Awkward. So again, we're doing on the 19th of July um, a forum on compassionate workplaces mm. sponsored by Southwest Development Commission. So wonderful, yeah, you know. Yeah, that is. Um, Melissa Teed is so much, yeah. you know, behind mm. all that work, which yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, as you say, it's all about building compassionate communities around us and that includes right through the workplace where we spend the majority of our time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And and we'll have we'll have the launch uh, on Dying to No Day, eighth of August is Dying to No Day. Every year it's a national day where people, it, what are you dying to know? Mm-hmm. Talk about death. The, <laughs> the questions that we don't yeah. normally feel yeah. like we can ask. Yes. Yeah. So you are all okay. in safe places where you can talk. Yeah. 
about um, everything you want to know about your experiences, how it's gone, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Mm. People learn from you. We have a death cafe as well, you know, on the first, uh, first uh, Sunday of every month, run by Deb Rate. Uh, it's usually in Mojo on, on that Sunday at 10 or 10.30. Um, and again, this year, back to Dying to Know Day, um, we're going to have it at the cemetery. Oh, yeah. great. So that people, yeah. we usually have cemetery tours yeah. and crematoria tour during, you know, that sort of week event oh, that we have. You're just pushing people, aren't you, mm-hmm. right through the, the awkwardness. They like, gotta come on. see it. They yeah. gotta yeah. see it, be visible. Like, find mm. out what happens to you, basically, you know, yeah. be there. I mean, and, and cemeteries are part of the public places that people can visit. It's not mm. like something nobody needs to see. Um, and this year we will be doing a concert at the cemetery. Oh, really? Well, that's something came to my mind. Well, I heard about it when I was in Bruges. There was an international compassion community conference and the guy who presented after me was a musician. And he said when his best friend died, he couldn't feel he could play on his guitar by himself anymore. Like he was so sorely you know, missing him. So he went to his grave and started playing there. And then more friends came and they oh. came with their beers. And then it was like, you know, very kind of thing they used to just socialize with their dead uh, friend and then from there it went on to being a concert in the whole cemetery oh. so I came back and discussed it with our committee here and I thought it's a great idea yeah. so we're working yeah. with the cemetery how we can have that the other fantastic thing that happened as well in Bruges um, they have the great crossing so they have lanterns where people write their bereaved mm-hmm. uh, loved ones name on them and it's got a candle in it and then it floats in the river mm. yeah. And it was a stunning view at night where you had everything black except all these candles in the water floating around and people reflecting on, you know, the life and the losses Mm. and all that stuff. I've never seen so many people teary, like academics anyway, at the conference. Um, A very emotional ceremony, that. Yeah, yeah. So, so again, we're going to have that. And again, there is a lake apparently in the cemetery I haven't seen. So that would be a nice, basically, contained area for Mm. that. Uh, my preference is to have it said the year after in Bicentennial Square, at the you know where, where everyone can yeah, see okay. it, you know, yeah. not just the ones who are coming for the dying to know mm. day activities. Mm. But we'll start small, see how it goes, yeah, and then you know we'll make it much bigger event. That's amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. So these are the. Th- this is what we say about building death literacy. Mm. This is what people start then talking about their loved ones who were died. They could you know. Uh, don't feel ashamed or scared or mm. whatever. And again, mm. you know, grief literacy. You know, how do you support these people? They're all grieving. I mean, it's 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 something that happens over a lifetime. Um, um, so when they when they take part in ceremonies like this, it's it starts gelling in their mind that yeah, it's okay, it's normal, it's part of you yeah. know yeah. what we should be doing, mm. honoring our dead. Um, yeah, that's yeah, beautiful. Quite right. So, we yeah, be, so every we? year we have a few more ideas, you know, what to do. So, yeah, I hope you're going to join oh, yes. us. I'm sure it's going to be <laughs> yeah. publicized um, wide enough, hopefully, Sounds in amazing. the local papers. Just beautiful. Yeah, so it's not about really a lecture all the mm, time to mm. people, it's about them taking part in, you know, mm. what's going to make them feel good about their loved mm. ones. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, beautiful that's, that's yeah. really great and like all your quotes are things that i want to take away thank you again oh, for your time you. yeah. and for your compassion and for explaining all that uh, mm-hmm. amazing connection that we all need to build and develop so mm. thank you thank you uh, for the opportunity to chat about this in a mm. really such an informal nice friendly yeah. way so yeah. and bombarding you with some of the no, statistics and the facts not and at all <laughs> but no. it's great you know if you're 
you're part of that community so obviously mm. and the assets that we have in the yeah. community and what we're doing is very important you know it's mm. going to spread the word yes. a bit yeah. more as well Communicate more yeah yeah very good thank you <laughs> and always remember every day you are remarkable <laughs>